Chapter Twelve of the Missing Bride. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Amanda Friday. The Missing Bride by E. D. E. N. Southworth. Chapter Twelve. Marion the Inspirer. It was not fortunate for old Mr. Wilcoxon's plans that his grandson should have met Marion Mayfield for on the morning of Thurston's first meeting with the charming girl, when he turned his horse's head from the arched gateway of Oldfield Cottage and galloped off, a haunting shape and image gay attended him. It was that of beautiful Marian, with her blooming face and sunny hair, and rounded roseate neck and bosom and arms, all softly, delicately flushed, with the pure glow of rich, luxuriant vitality, as she stood in the sunlight, under the arch of azure morning glories, with her graceful arms raised in the act of binding up the vines. At first this image fair was almost unthought of. He was scarcely conscious of the haunting presence, or the life and light it gradually diffused through his whole being, and when the revelation dawned upon his intellect, he smiled to himself and wondered if, for the first time, he was falling in love. And then he grew grave, and tried to banish the dangerous thought. But when, day after day, amid all the business and the pleasures of his life, the shape still pursued him, instead of getting angry with it or growing weary of it, he opened his heart and took it in, and made it at home, and set it upon a throne, where it reigned supreme, diffusing delight all over his nature. But soon, too soon, this bosom sovereign became the despot, and stung, goaded, and urged him to see again this living, breathing, glowing, most beautiful original. To seek her? For what? He did not even try to answer the question. Thus passed one week. And then, had he been disposed to forget the beautiful girl, he could not have done so for everywhere, where the business of his grandfather took him, around among the neighboring planters, to the villages of B or of C, everywhere he heard of Marian, and frequently he saw her, though at a distance, or under circumstances that made it impossible for him, without rudeness, to address her. He both saw and heard of her in scenes in society where he could hardly have expected to find a young girl of her insignificant position. Marian was a regular attendant of the Protestant church at Benedict, where, before the morning service, she taught in the Sunday school, and before the afternoon service she received a class of colored children. And Thurston, who had been a very careless and desultory attendant, sometimes upon the Catholic chapel, sometimes upon the Protestant church, now became a very regular frequenter of the latter place of worship, the object of his worship being not the Creator, but the creature whom, if he missed from her accustomed seat, the singing and praying and preaching for him, lost all of its meaning, power, and spirituality. In the churchyard he sometimes tried to catch her eye and bow to her, but he was always completely baffled in his aspirations after a nearer communion. She was always attended from the church, and assisted into her saddle, by Judge Provost, Colonel Thornton, or some other potent, grave, and reverend seigneurs, who hedged her about with a divinity that it was impossible, without rudeness and intrusion, to break through. The more he was baffled and perplexed, the more eager became his desire to cultivate her acquaintance. Had his course been clear to woo her for his wife, it would have been easy to ask permission of Edith to visit her at her house, but such was not the case, and Thurston, tampering with his own integrity of purpose, rather wished that this much-coveted acquaintance should be incidental, and their interviews seem accidental, so that he should not commit himself, or in any way lead her to form expectations which he had no surety of being able to meet. How long this cool and cautious foresight might avail him, if once he were brought in close companionship with Marian, remains to be seen. It happened one Sunday afternoon in October, that he saw Marian take leave of her venerable escort, Colonel Thornton, at the churchyard gate, 
and gaily and alone turned into the forest road that led to her own home. He immediately threw himself into his saddle and followed her, with the assumed air of an indifferent gentleman pursuing his own path. He overtook her near one of those gates that frequently intersect the road. Bowing, he passed her, opened the gate, and held it open for her passage. Marian smiled and nodded with a pleasant, "'Good afternoon, Mr. Wilcoxon,' as she went through. Thurston closed the gate and rode on after her. "'This is glorious weather, Miss Mayfield.' "'Glorious indeed,' replied Marian. "'And the country, too, is perfectly beautiful at this season. I never could sympathize with the poets who call autumnal days the melancholy days, the saddest of the year.' "'Nor I,' said Marian. "'For to me, autumn, with its refulgent skies and gorgeous woods and rich harvest, and its prospect of Christmas cheer and wintry repose, has ever seemed a gay and festive season.' The year's great work is done, the harvest is gathered, enjoyment is present, and repose at hand. In the world of society, said Thurston, it is in the evening, after the labor or the business of the day is over, that the gayest scenes of festivity occur, just preceding the repose of sleep. So I received your thoughts of the autumn, the evening of the year, preceding the rest of winter. Nature's year's work is done. She puts on her most gorgeous robes, and holds a festival before she sinks to her winter's sleep. Marian smiled brightly upon him. "'Yes, my meaning, I believe, only more pointedly expressed. That smile, that smile! It lightened through all his nature with electric, life-giving, spirit-realizing power, elevating and inspiring his whole being. His face, too, was radiant with life, as he answered the maiden's smile. But something in his eyes caused Marian's glances to fall, and the rosy clouds to roll up over her cheeks and brow. Then Thurston governed his countenance, let no ardent or admiring glance escape, and when he spoke again his manner and words were more differential. "'We spoke of the world of nature, Miss Mayfield, but how is it with the world of man? To many—nay, to most of the human race—autumn is the herald of a season not of festivity and repose, but of continued labor and increased want and privation and suffering. That is because society is not in harmony with nature. Man has wandered as far from nature as from God.' said Marian. "'And as much needs a saviour to lead him back to the one as to the other,' replied Thorsten. "'You know that? You feel it?' asked Marian, turning upon him one of her soul-thrilling glances. Thurston trembled with delicious pleasure through all his frame. But guarding his eyes, lest again they should frighten off her inspiring glances, he answered fervently, "'I know and feel it most profoundly.' And Thurston thought he spoke the very truth though in sober fact he had never thought or felt anything about the subject until now that Marian, his inspirer, poured her life-giving spirit into his soul. She spoke again earnestly, ardently. "'You know and feel it most profoundly. That deep knowledge and that deep feeling is the chrism oil that has anointed you a messenger and a laborer in the cause of humanity. Called and chosen, be thou also faithful. There are many inspired, many anointed, but few are faithful.' Thou, then, art the high priestess that hast poured the consecrated oil on my head. I will be faithful. He spoke with such sudden enthusiasm, such abandon, that it had the effect of bringing Marian back to the moderation and retinue of her usual manner. He saw it in the changed expression in her countenance, and what light or shade of feeling passed over that beautiful face unmarked of him. When he spoke again it was composedly. You speak as the preachers and teachers preach and teach, in general terms. Be explicit. What would you have me to do, Miss Mayfield? Only indicate my work, and tell me how to set about the accomplishment of it, and never knight served liege lady as I will serve you. Marian smiled. How? Oh, you must make yourself a position from which to influence people. I do not know that I can advise you how, 
but you will find a way, as, were I a man, I should. Being a woman, you have done wonders. For a woman, said Marian, with a glance full of archness and merriment. No, no, for anyone, man or woman. But your method, Marian, I beg your pardon, Miss Mayfield, he added, with a blush of ingenious embarrassment. Nay, now, said the frank girl, do call me Marian, if that name springs more readily from your lips than the other. Almost all persons call me Marian, and I like it. A rush of pleasure thrilled all through his veins. He gave her words a meaning and a value for himself that they did not certainly possess. He forgot that the grace extended to him was extended to all, nay, that she had even said as much in the very words that gave it. He answered, And if I do, fairest Marian, shall I too hear my own Christian name in music from your lips? Oh, I do not know, said the beautiful girl, laughing and blushing. If it ever comes naturally, perhaps, certainly not now. Why, the venerable Colonel Thornton calls me Marian, but it never comes to me to call him John. End of chapter 12 Recording by Amanda Friday